when we're working with precision feeding or precision nutrition, we're looking at nutrient conversion. We want to maximize nutrient retention. We want to make sure that that, that protein, that phosphor and calcium that we're giving to that animals are being retained to its maximum. And more than that, that is retained in the right components. It's time for a new era of communication in the swine industry. One that you can get the latest updates while commuting or driving to farms. Here you will have the brightest minds of the global swine industry in your pocket. We want to thank the innovative companies and products whose support and trust make this podcast possible. Feed flow. Feed is too expensive to ignore. Take control with feed flow. Healthy Farms by Bioverse, your manure management experts. DSM Furminish. You can combat mycotoxins in your feed with Fumezyme from DSM Furminish. Fumezyme is the only FDA-approved enzyme to degrade fumonisins. Eastman works with you to accelerate your nutritional program innovation. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Swine It Podcast. I'm your host, Trey Kellner. And I'm excited this morning because today we're joined by Dr. Aline Remus to talk about precision feeding of grow finish pigs. Um, Aline is a research scientist in physiology and precision nutrition in pigs at Agriculture and Agri-Food Canada. Aline, welcome to the podcast. How are you this morning? Hi, Trey. Thank you for having me. I'm doing well. Good. Uh, tell the listeners a little bit about yourself. So I grew up in a, in a pig farm, in a very small farm. My dad had like a hundred souls and that was about my first job. So it's how I came to uh, learn about time production and how I started to love and, and see my future there. So I did technical school. I did undergrad in animal science. I come from Brazil originally, so I studied in Santa Maria in the south of Brazil and Already in my undergrad studies, I heard about um, precision feeding. I fell in love with this, and I confess that my first, uh, my first actually uh, view of it was like, oh, it's never gonna work. You know, I was coming from a farm. I was like, oh, no, it's never gonna work. But let's give it a try. And was uh, my my advisor at time uh, Lovato work at uh, Dr. Lovato work with Dr. Pomar. And uh, they introduced me to a former student of, of both of them, Dr. Hauschild, who was starting a precision feeding program in Sao Paulo State University. So I went there to do my master. And during my master, I came to Canada to do an internship. And they invited me to do a dual supervision PhD. So I studied at Quebec in Laval University and Brazil in UNESCO. And I did all my experiments um, here in agriculture and agriculture Canada. And as you see, I loved working here, and I stayed, stayed, stayed until they hired me. <laughs> and I have been here since. I uh, was actually hired as permanent researcher last year, but uh, it has been. I have been in the field of precision feeding, experimenting with it for twelve years already. So, been yeah. a journey. That's awesome. Feed flow is changing the way the swine industry sees feed. As the world's only on-pipe feed sensor, FeedFlow tells you exactly how much feed is being delivered to your animals, so you can be sure that every pig in your barn is well-fed and growing. With industry-leading precision and up-to-the-minute real-time data and alerts, FeedFlow is a simple and affordable way to improve production outcomes across your organization. Feed is too expensive to ignore. Try FeedFlow today. 
So let's start big picture, right? Today we're talking about precision feeding. So let's just start with when you define precision feeding, uh, what's your definition and what does it mean to you? Well, thank you for asking that. And I think it's like the, the question that I often get from my colleagues when they're reviewing papers. So they will shoot me a text and say, hey, I'm reviewing this paper. And they, they tell me they're doing precision nutrition and precision feeding, but I'm not sure they're doing that. Can, can you define? And I totally relate with that, with that because depending on the school that you went, you learn that precision nutrition is something very different of what actually I understand of precision nutrition. So for me, precision feeding is using real-time data, data that comes from the actual herd that we have in our farm today. And we get that information on feed intake and weight gain. And we estimate the requirements for a very small group of animals. It can be our whole barn. When I say small group of animals, is uh, is because traditionally we we do the requirements for different farms, right? We have a whole company, and we we give the same feed for for the different barns. The the same genetic line, for example, we feed all the animals equally, even though we know that in the different barns we will have different requirements, and they will vary for different reasons, right? So when we talk about precision feeding, we're actually addressing that difference and we're tailoring the feed to the animals that we have in the barn, or it can be a group of animals or to a more sophisticated level to individuals. That is often what we do here. Uh, well, precision nutrition for me goes a step further is not only providing the animals with the right amount of feed in, in the right composition. It's, it's one more, actually. We're actually tailoring nutrients for the individuals. Uh, there is a component of time, the, the change in requirements that happen over time, but comes also from the perspective of understanding that a fast-growing pig won't use the nutrients in the same way than a slow-growing pig. And we should not be wasting nutrients in that slow growing pigs, we should actually maximize nutrient conversion, uh, which is a different concept. Often in farms, we're going to talk about feed conversion, right? Uh, when we're working with precision feeding and precision nutrition, we're looking at nutrient conversion. We want to maximize nutrient retention. We want to make sure that that, that protein, that phosphorus and calcium that we're giving to that animals are being retained to its maximum. And more than that, that is retained in the right components. And uh, when I say that is, um, we can have animals performing super well, having a great average dead gain, a great feed conversion, and you go to the slaughterhouse and it's fat, or it's worse than that, it's even not fat in the carcass, it's, it's visceral fat, right? So we want to make sure that the, these nutrients are going to muscle growth and, and we are retaining the maximum of muscle that these animals can, so that we also have a good carcass in, in the end. Does, does that make sense? It does, it does, yeah, and thanks for providing that for our listeners. So let's break down your definition and the application of precision feeding kind of piece by piece. And I think maybe the best place to start is with any kind of precision feeding concept, we have to have the correct mathematical model, right? Oftentimes when I explain what I do as a swine nutritionist, I often say it's really just applied mathematics, right? So 
maybe explain about how we generate our models. And let's just use the example of like amino acid requirements. So how are those models generated? And then how do we then use those models to help us install the precision feeding concept? Well, Tree, you know, when you say that applied mathematics, you make me think how much I hate math at school. And today I say, oh, I do mathematical modeling. And uh, I, I always think that I wish I could go back to the younger me and tell her, see, this that you're learning, this differential equation actually have an application in real life. And I think that will be much more interesting if we could go like to elementary school or high school and tell tell people like you actually use this in your daily life. If you want to be a fine nutritionist, you can calculate how much nutrients the animals need and you can optimize uh, economics. You can optimize nutrient retention. Uh, I, I think we don't have that perspective in the school and if, if we should, if we had it, it would be amazing how much would thrive uh, and make learning math more interesting. But going back to the point, um, as a trained nutritionist, what I, what I learned in developing models is how biologically it can apply. It's not about how sophisticated the model is, how complex the model is, how, how much you can code. It's not, that, that in the end doesn't matter. What really matters is biologically does it make sense that's a so, very good point yep yeah so what we we have been doing in the precision feeding model is we actually develop um empirical models which is um let's break down to regressions which is everyone is familiar with so we do um regressions of how much the animals will grow and how much they will eat so let's, let's imagine um, that we have data, 15 days of data of individuals or a group of animals that we have in our barn. So we know how much is their average daily gain and how much is their feeding take. And we do a very short projection. We say, well, I have all this data in my regression and I will just project one more day because I just want to know in a window of 24 hours how they will do so that I can formulate the diet for these 24 hours. And it's basically what we do. So when we use this first part of, of the, 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 the model, which we call the empirical part with the regression, and from there we go to the mechanistic model. That's normally what is scare people, but uh, it's, it's like the NRC is a mechanistic model. So if we want something that we're familiar with is the NRC, it's several equations, one that will tell you how much protein will be deposited, how much energy, um, and we can, based on the composition of the gain of these animals, uh, we can know how much amino acids we need to give. Uh, so a quick example. I know that my pig is gaining one, one kilo, or uh, would be about two pounds, a little bit less, right? Um, and I know they're gaining that, and they're about... Um, let's say 100 pounds, so 16% of their average dead gain is protein deposition. And from there, I know how much amino acids I have to give because I know how much amino acids I have in 150 grams of protein deposition, for instance. So it's just like a series of 
differential equations that we have inside that we go calculating based on the biology of the things, how the animals are using those nutrients. And um, it's as simple as that. Now, the, the main uh, kick is when we use the precision feeding model that we develop, uh, it works exactly the other way around than the traditional models work. So a traditional model tells us, well, based on this genetic line, I know that the requirements will be for this phase 1.10% of lysine, and they will have this amount of protein, this amount of lipids, and uh, you should uh, reach your target weight in 21 days. And then you give the feed, and in 28 days, you predict again, and you, you go doing your phase. And it's normally how, how the, this phase feeding system works all around, right? Uh, the nutritionists have his model that is developed by genetic company or their own nutritional company or some who use the NRC, the neural or so, so on, and they will predict. The precision feeding model doesn't work like that. It's actually the opposite. He gets what the animal is doing, and then he says, well, he's gaining two pounds, so he needs this amount of nutrients today. And then you feed again the model. Every 24 hours, you feed data to the model, and you go predicting day by day. And, and it works also for the group, which is important to say. Um, we, when I'm talking about individuals, I'm, I say each one of the animals, but using this type of model or this type of real-time data also works for face feeding. Uh, if you actually know the growth of the animals, if you know how much feed they're eating, you can actually adjust your face feeding system to a much better level. And uh, I invite you to, to if, if you are ever curious to see like how we do this in the experiments, you see that Across our experiments, you have very different values of lighting requirements for the face-fed animals. Uh, so we have the same weight, very similar genetic. We normally work with early growers here. And you see that the lighting levels will vary a lot from one of our experiments. And is why we normally don't use like a fixed level. We could use like, well, we know that the recommendation for this genetic line is 1.10, but we rare, rarely will use 1.10. We will actually estimate the requirements for that group and we'll take our precision feeding model and we have the average estimate. And then we add 15% to that average peak in the first day of growth. And we know that we'll be feeding about 80% of the population to their requirements or above it. So we know that we're limiting the growth of 20% of our pigs. And it's a compromise that we do for two reasons. One, we don't think economically would make sense to feed all our pigs to maximal growth. Uh, I don't think picking that 20% would give the return investment enough for us to, to the added cost of feeding all those animals to that level of requirement. And two, we also decrease the environmental uh, expression of those nutrients. So it's a double compromise. And funny enough, 
in precision fitting, often economics and environment go side to side because, <laughs> because what we're doing to, to, to decrease environmental impact is actually decrease nutrient supply, which is what is expensive for us, right? So they normally go side to side. And as we don't see difference in growth performance, you're just saving money as you're saving nutrient expression. Um, let me know if, if it makes sense what I'm saying or if you want like to type, explain a little bit better the safe fitting. I always have the impression that when I, I, I try to talk about individual precision fitting and multi-phase fitting and phase fitting, it becomes kind of a complex topic. Right. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so maybe for our listeners here, you know, and then we'll kind of get into the next space here, which is kind of hurdles of implementing it on the commercial level, right? So a couple different concepts here that we should break down for our listeners, right? Is, is you know, let's start with phase feeding, right? So definition of phase feeding um, from there, at least from your perspective, what would you give there? Uh, so when I'm talking about phase feeding, I'm talking about a four, five phase feeding system. So we start with, with uh, let's say, four 21 days phase feeding. So we go decreasing the concentration of the diets as the animals grow. Uh, I, I know that is the, the phase feeding will vary a lot depending on the company. So here we normally see a four phase feeding. We still see three-phase feeding a lot. Uh, if we go to Denmark, we will see one, two-phase feeding. If you go to United States, you're going to see five, six. The same in Brazil. We're going to have even, I, I less spoke with a BRF nutritionist and he told me we're doing eight-phase feeding system. So it's more you have phases, shorter are these phases. That is the definition. And uh, we just try to match those requirements as close as possible. Yeah. And, and for our listeners, when we talk about phases within the phase, that diet formulation is the exact same, right? So when we talk about four phases or five phases or even nine phases, right? That formulation is the exact same, whether that pig is, you know, we'll use kilos here, 30 kilos or 45 kilos, or, you know, in pounds, you know, like 70 pounds to a hundred pounds, right? Those requirements are different at that body uh, weight in, in that protein deposition and in, in that lean deposition, but we feed that same diet um, through those phases, trying to hit the average of quote unquote that body weight range or that protein accretion and, and lean deposition range and rates, right? So, yes, thank so, you, thank you. Yeah, so one definition that I've heard of precision feeding, and instead of having like, you know, five to six phases, you now from wing to finish have 165 phases, right? Because it's daily, right? Every yeah. day you basically have a phase, right? And yeah. not only do you have a, a barn, you know, um, budget, but you could even have a pin budget. Yeah. So if you have a 20 pin barn, right, you could have 165 basically times 20, right, phases or diet formulations for that wing to finish group, right? So just, just something to think about as, as you're driving down the road or working out while you're listening to this podcast, um, you know, in terms of, the, you know, defining like what we're trying to achieve with the precision feeding concept. It's trying to get to basically 165 phases from wean to finish to where we're characterizing, you know, that pen or that group or that barn, however small of a subset we want to get to, to trying to hit things correctly. So one thing that you talked about really great in your last answer was the economic barrier. 
right? There's also logistic barriers to implementing this concept. So maybe talk about what those barriers are and then things that you found in your research to overcome some of those barriers and successes that you found um, so far. Yeah, first way, thank you. That was a perfect definition. I think uh, you hit exactly on point. It's exactly what I'm trying to do. We're trying to do one diet per day. And then can be one diet per day per pen or one diet per ten per, per pig. So if you have a, like 10,000 pigs, that's 10,000 diets a day that we do. And you hit the point. When we give that definition, the first thing we hear is how many silos do we need? How I will store that feed? That's just impossible. So instead of using, when you're doing an eight-phase system, you will receive eight feeds at your barn. When you're doing precision feeding with 165 feeds, you actually will have only two feeds. We just formulate two feeds through the beginning to the out. So you just do need two silos. You have one or the, the feed is highly concentrated uh, in we're talking uh, amino acids, calcium, phosphorus, and then we call that the diet A. So we simply give a simple name. And B, which is a very diluted diet. So you can think of diet B as, it. honestly, what we do is basically corn. Our diet B is basically corn. So you think of concentration of corn, is that we will adjust a little bit calcium phosphorus. We will throw the minerals there, like the, the um, microminerals. Um, but basically, is what you get corn in the diet. Uh, sometimes, if you want to to have a better amino acid balance, we will mix corn and wheat. But we are talking about a lysine concentration of 0.3. When it's highly concentrated, our diet B, we hit 0.4. It, it, it means that we are finishing the pigs at something like 400 pounds, 100 kilos will be, yeah, I'm right, right? I, I sometimes get lost between the colors. So we're, we're finishing them what we consider early. So then we'll have a, a diet B that's a little bit more concentrated. Our diet A is different than than uh, initial growing phase. Um, what we often see here is that initial grower We'll have 1.10% of lysin, give or take. We'll have a much more concentrated diet A. We'll, we'll be hitting this diet A at 1.2% of lysin or even 1.3, depending the starting weight of our phase. Because this diet is formulated to the most demanding pig of our group. And our diet B is formulated for the least demanding. And as we go mixing daily this diet, we reach the concentration for each one of the animals or for each pen. So to implement precision feeding, you need a system that can mix two diets for you. Yeah, and you need an identification of this animal. So we do we use on RFID tags. If you do restability, is the same tags that you use in the restability program that you can follow the animals from. Um, from when they are born to the moment that they go to the slaughterhouse is is exactly the same thing. Low radio frequency ones, uh, they're also used in beef and so on. For us, they cost around $1 per tag, or used to because it's so long that we don't buy them because we just reuse and reuse them. Uh, I confess that the last one we bought might be six years ago, so probably they went up. Uh, but it gives you also an idea of how much you can reuse these tags. 
if the animals don't eat them. Uh, but we did learn a little trick. You cannot put the tags outside the ear of the pig. You have to put them inside the ear of the pig. And then it works pretty well. Uh, they don't like very much that someone goes play inside their ears. So when I say inside, it's the inside side, not inside inside. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. Before people say, oh, this people are torturing animals and they're putting their tags inside their ears. Not exactly, it's a side. Um, so we need, going back, sorry, going back, we need a system able to mix the feeds and able to identify these animals. If you're doing in pen, you don't need to identify the, the animals. You just need the, the feeding system and you need to be able to weigh them time to time. When we do individual precision feeding, we ideally would wait, the, we would like to have the weight daily, but we don't. We don't, we have the weight, weight weekly. Um, and for the group is the same. You can actually, when you're doing group uh, precision feeding, uh, something that we will actually test with the Priory Science Center, we will divide them in low, medium, and fast growers. And then we will try to set a curve from the beginning to the end for this curve. So we're gonna collect data of weight and feed in the beginning, and we will try and project. Uh, so that is, I, I'm saying things, maybe Dan Columbus is listening to me and it's like, no, it's not, but we're gonna do it exactly. But it's something like that. And sorry if I'm advancing or, 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 or past then. Uh, but it's something that we want to, to do because it's more, it, it, you can easier apply to a commercial farm, right? Uh, the difficulty is, is actually weighing the animals uh, in, in, in the farm, so if we could at least have an idea from the beginning, uh, what is the, the how much data we need in the beginning to start this system and set a curve that is we can trust enough to do the whole grow and finish would be nice. Um, we can do per bar when the animals arrive, we we will select them and uh, have the different weights and try and set curves for these animals. It could work. We haven't tested that. So I cannot promise you that it works, but it's a way that I see with the systems that we have nowadays, because we have systems that are able to make seeds per pen, we, we have them. So using that, we can actually tailor the diet for our herds. Uh, if we want to go to a more individual level, then we, have, we need like feeding stations where the animal arrives, the feeding station identifies him, and then he he receives his tailored diet every time. Um, so that is where it is, uh, where we are now, um, with the the whole internet of of the things and um, the fast growing of smart farming. I think we will see a lot of technology coming to the field and become cheaper and cheaper over the days. So I don't think, I used to say that the, the challenge was in the sensors, and I think less and less the challenge is in the sensors. The challenge is much more who will give assistance to the farmers. So we need companies, uh, nutrition companies, uh, universities doing extension that, are, that can give this support to the farmers. So I think that that is becoming more and more the, 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 the challenge is to have qualified people 
to give quality advice to the farmers. Yeah, so let's let's kind of summarize that a bit and then lead into our next question, right? So when we talk about phase feeding, right, we're talking about a feed mill that's basically making, you know, those five to seven phases through the grow finish period. And instead, now they're just going to make two diets, a high-density diet and a low-density diet. Big pro for the feed mill, right, in terms of their efficiency, their logistics capabilities. You know, we talk about shortage of people, you know, especially shortage of drivers, at least stateside. I'm sure Canada's no different, right? I mean, all of a sudden now your feed mill is way more efficient. The con of that is we're taking the hard part of making feed, you know, in terms of, you know, those individual batches or, you know, maybe it's medication, pulses, VFDs, et cetera. And we're putting that basically at the site level, right? So now instead of having one central feed mill to maybe feed, you know, a million pigs out per year, right, we're actually actually going to ask each individual site to do that. So in terms of the maintenance and the support um, and the precision of that, you know, that that's something that we have to think through and, and think ahead on. Um, on an individual site level. And, and how do we do that, right? The second thing too, as you were saying, in terms of labor shortages, you know, in terms of stockmanship and animal welfare, that's one thing, but the way every group or every pin, even on a weekly or monthly basis is, is kind of a big logistic hurdle. Um, so one thing that I've thought of and have been hopeful for is, you know, like camera technology and algorithms, right? To, to oversee, you know, not only body weight, but then composition and and not only in terms of the pigs, but if we could have a camera over every feeder and measure feed disappearance, you know, on, a, on an hourly or daily basis, not only do we have our, our growth curve, but our feed intake curve and our lean accretion curve and our fat deposition curve. And then that's all reading into that. Once again, the feed kitchen that's on site and that's all automatic. Right. But um, so let's talk about it's easy to think about, OK, the end line. Right. So let, let's discuss, like, how do we get from A to that picture, right? So what technologies are currently being developed that are getting there? And what are some things you've identified that are promising to lead us down that path? Um, I know that have several um, feeders company that are developing uh, feeding stations that will work both at group level to the individual level. So we have that. We have that already for salt. And we have more and more for, for, for pigs. Uh, we have individual feeding stations available for pigs, but they still cannot make the diet. So we have others that are coming to that. Or there is other technologies available already that can make this diet. Um, you know, one thing that I don't know if you still use in 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 United States, but in the past there was a wave about liquid feed and it kind of stopped. And we still have those systems somewhere in the farms. Those systems actually work quite well for precision feeding because they do exactly the same thing. They control the amount and then, and then they can kind of mix from the flowers and distribute. Uh, so those type of systems are something that we kind of abandoned uh, for different reasons. And they will probably could, could be used in some cases. Again, it depends a lot of the system. I'm I'm saying that because I know of one farm that is reactivating their liquid system to do group phase feeding because it works perfectly for that. Uh, there is a lot of technology in the vision that, as you said, like cameras that have been developed that they do both feed disappearance and they can do surface in the animals. And we have the the 
uh, estimation of the weight. And they are going further. And I think is the further that gets more gets me more excited. That is, they are looking at the behavior of these animals. And we have so much to gain on that. Because if we can see changes in behavior of these animals, we can do early disease detection, which is our biggest problem now. We normally see that the animals are sick when the whole barn is sick. So we see, uh, uh, well, these animals are sick and we have to medicate the whole feed. We don't have the option. Um, if we can actually early identify those animals, we can treat the animals that are actually sick. We don't need, we, we can tailor these diets as well. And, um, and then going back to the precision feeding, we can actually then adjust these diets for the animals that are sick and modify this diet. We have seen so much research, research coming up in changing the amino acid profile for the sick animals. And we can so easily do that with precision feeding, with feeding stations that can mix or with the, 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 the group phase feeding, which we can do for the pen. Uh, so that is fantastic. Uh, vision systems, I really think is the future for the weight and uh, for the feed disappearance and, um, and the feeding behavior, uh, the, the behavior actually of the animals. I, I think we will see that more and more. Uh, my take on that is it has to be farmer friendly because we have seen some systems coming out with a thousand alerts and the farmer barely have time to breathe let alone to answer a thousand alarms. So I think there is a lot of development to be done in the field, but I think we're walking fast toward that. Yeah. So last question here before we kind of get into some fun questions in here um, is, you know, once again, it's easy to think about, oh, what could be, right? When we talk about well, hopefully it's not 2030 or 2040 till we have this implemented, right? But to, to think futuristically and, and think about, you know, a barn design or, you know, a feed system design on how we can do this and where do we set up cameras and, you know, oh, how yeah. can we use it to help us market pigs better or pull pigs better, right? All those things. But, you know, one thing that we all struggle with, whether it's Canada, U.S. or worldwide, is simply just even out of feed events, so, you know, think, think about that, right, in terms of, okay, how do we get the precision feeding? Well, where are we at today and what are those small stepping, stepping stones or, you know, stairs to get to that ultimate view that we were talking about, you know, in 2030 and 2040? So just break down something as simple as out-of-feed events. What, what technologies are currently available to help us decrease our out-of-feed events and hit, hit our growth targets and, you know, with just a, our, our, you know, our simple uh, phase feeding strategies that we have today. Autofeed events is something that I wish I had data. And I think if we had more data of it, we would move way faster towards implementing these technologies because we would have a real number to say, this is how much growth we're losing because out of feed event, and this is how much we're losing in, in animal welfare. We know that if the animals are for more than 17 hours without feed, we, have, we start to have very significant losses. Um, so I do not have the data on that, but I know there are systems that are able to both measure in silo disappearance and in line passage of the feed, so you have an idea of how much feed is coming out of your silo. Uh, we have in-pen feeders that also do that, measure how much feed is passing. So you have an idea of what you have and you solve that problem of 
being out of feed. But there is another advantage uh, to that. Uh, often when we receive, um, we receive feed in the farms, we just top up the silo, right? So we have remaining feed in that silo and we have no idea. And often we'll give, so if we're giving to finisher pigs a more concentrated diet, yeah, that's, a, that's okay. They will grow very well. And yeah, we're going to have scratching off nutrients, but at least we're not losing too much in growth performance. But if we're doing the other way around, well, we will have problems with growth uh, because it's the wrong diet for the wrong animals. Uh, we likely will have mycotoxins because they stay too long there, that, that feed inside that silos. I don't know how it is for you, but for us here, we have um, still some problems with humidity, even if our silos are quite good. Like we have, it freeze and defreeze all the time. So we, we, we have these problems, especially in the spring and autumn. Uh, in the fall, we do have this problem. So having an idea of what we have there will help us to take a decision. Either we get rid of this feed or we actually, you know, find a solution uh, for, for that feed, right? Um, I think it will help us a lot. One thing that I will add that's not necessarily linked to the out-of-feed events is I talk a lot, a lot of about precision feeding, but I didn't give you any numbers. And I think the people that are listening to us are thinking, well, it sounds fantastic. I get what Trey said, that we will uh, we'll need less manpower and the feed meal will make money. But what I will gain as a, as a producer or as a nutritionist, right? So in our research, and uh, keep in mind that the, these numbers come uh, from... Uh, 2014-2016, where feed was cheap, where soybean, uh, corn, and wheat was, like, accessible. And we, by by tailoring diets, whether it was for the group or for individuals, we're gaining from $8 to $12 per animal in one cycle. So you can think that return on investment, you pay these feeders back quite quite easily if you are gaining $8 per pig. Uh, You're decreasing protein in the diet uh, by something like 30 to 40%, depending how how low is your your protein in the diet, how much uh, free amino acids you're using. But if you go then for amino acids itself, we're talking about a lysine reduction diet from somewhere around 27%. Uh, calcium and phosphorus is not such of a, a give and take, but you can think in 20% phosphorus reduction. So you can see uh, how you actually will save money. You reduce nitrogen expression by 40% into the environment. We see nitrogen retention in these animals, protein retention in these animals that go up to 70%. That is fantastic. It's close to what the NRC told us, that's the maximum retention of these animals. We see lysine efficiency of utilization that arrives to 100%. It's unthinkable. I know any biologist will tell you that's impossible, but these are the numbers we get. There is errors in the calculation, yes, but we are getting very high nutrient utilization. So the gain of using precision feeding is an economic environmental gain that are quite significant. And then you have added benefits, benefits that are uh, decrease in, in manpower, 
uh, better control of feed and growth in your farm. And maybe we can have early disease detection and tailored diets for, for sick animals. So you, you see where we're going with that. But we just can get there if you have qualified people to help the farmers uh, through this process. So great point to end on is, yeah, is is the actual data behind these concepts and, and why we're we're all trying to push to implement, you know, um, whether the entire concept and, and what that looks like down the road or parts of it that we can um, where technology and people are there to support it. It's time for our famous three. We want to thank the innovative companies and products whose support and trust make this podcast possible. Sunai, we provide value-added biotech solutions. Adiseo provides programs and services to help producers achieve their targets in high-quality, safe, and sustainable way. AccuFast, the best way to predict the future is to create it. Start creating your future today at AccuFastSwine.com. AB Vista, new nutritional perspectives and novel enzyme applications to drive pig production. An animal nutrition technology company offering innovative products and new applications for the swine industry. The combination of AB Vista enzymes, technical services, and nutrition expertise provides the industry with new opportunities to further improve production efficiencies. Fiber is receiving renewed interest due to its influence on the microbiome, and AB Vista has brought together research experts to discuss the industry's knowledge of fiber functionality and to introduce a stimbiotic targeted to improve fiber digestion. To request access, contact NAM at abvista.com. That's N-A-M at abvista.com. Four kind of fun questions to end on so our audience can learn more about you. The first is we're kind of in the holiday season, right? So being from Brazil and now being in Quebec, what's your favorite holiday tradition? My favorite holiday tradition? Oh, uh, that's so funny because uh, normally people associate uh, Christmas and New Year's with snow, and for me, it's beach time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so for me, my my tradition my tradition is that we do we go to the sea. Yeah. Uh, so we, we spend uh, if it's not at least Christmas and New Year's, but just after or just before we are around the sea, uh, and we have. Uh, Beer and barbecue. That that's for me. It's my tradition, and of course, my New Year's tradition, which is uh, a roasted pig, a whole pig roasted. Um, we call it pizza pig. So sometimes we open, um, and then we we have uh, all types of toppings, pizza related, and uh, it's delicious. They are cooked for six to eight hours. They're crispy and uh, juicy and. Uh, that's a great recipe for <laughs> New Year's. Yes. No, that sounds amazing. Uh, second question. If you could answer one of your research questions today, just one, which would it be and why? Why pigs with the same weight, same genetics, same sex grow differently? Why they mm. use nutrients differently? Yeah, that would be good to answer. Yes, probably multifactorial, but good to answer, right? <laughs> Sec- or third one, what's the biggest hurdle that you've overcome in your career that you're the most proud of? Um, I think moving to a new country and learning two languages, um, learning about a different 
production system, learning about a new culture, um, and getting in the, 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 the system, I think for me, uh, that was a big change coming from Brazil to, to Canada was a big change in, in culture and, uh, in, in, in production as well, the way that the production is done. Um, so to basically start from zero was something that at moments, uh, made me want to give up and simply go back home. Uh, but I'm, I'm very proud that I stayed because I'm so happy here I am. Uh, I love Canada. I love work with the Canadian uh, producers and I'm, I'm really, really happy here. So, um, yeah, that's a, the big thing. <laughs> yeah. And the last question, what's the best piece of advice that you've received or given, let's just say the past month or so? Speak up. Um, I think often we assume things. We assume that people understood you, that people know what you want from them. So it goes especially from manage from the management side, right? When you're managing your team, whether it's in the barn or even for me in research, um, we think people understood what you mean, uh, but it's not necessarily. So the speak up is not necessarily like. It's more like actually say what you mean and how you feel and what you expect. And when something goes wrong, uh, also say how it makes you feel. Because people will often assume, oh, she has a tough cookie, she can deal with that. And uh, sometimes it's not true. And it makes for a more uh, dynamic team because I think it goes to... to to also to, to a more personal level of management. Yeah, thanks for sharing, Aline. And thanks for joining us. And to our listeners, thanks for listening to this episode of the Swinet Podcast. Hope you check out more of our content uh, that comes out every week. With that, have a great holiday season and we'll uh, catch you the next time. Looking to elevate your brand and captivate audiences through the power of podcasting? Look no further. Introducing the custom podcast brought to you by Wisemetics, where we take care of the behind the scenes so that you can focus on what truly matters. Podcasting has become an invaluable tool for brand awareness, but let's face it, putting it into practice can be a daunting task. It's incredibly time consuming and requires technical know-how, but don't worry, we've got you covered. With our experienced team at The Help, we'll handle the operational aspects so you can channel your energy into what your company does best. Are you ready to unleash the podcasting potential of your company? Schedule a call with one of our specialists today at the link in the bottom of this episode. You'll also receive a free podcast strategy consult tailored to the unique needs and goals of your business.